going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you here on Tuesday evening. And man, it's a good thing that we record 22 hours ago because goodness gracious, what an absolute disaster last night as the Clippers lost to the Denver Nuggets. And Matt Matawar and my co-host joined by myself, Brandon Marcus, and Matt, last time we spoke, it was two days ago, and we were a little concerned about this game against Denver. But the only thing was, we anticipated Nikola Jokic being uh, healthy. I was going to say fit. I've watched too much soccer. Um, Nikola Jokic being healthy, and perhaps Aaron Gordon playing. But instead, we got no Aaron Gordon, no Nikola Jokic, no Jamal Murray, and the Clippers lost. But before we get to that, I've got to start this pod the way I always do. How are you, my friend? Sports Ethos Clipper Nation, Brandon Marcus, how the heck are you? Uh, you know, the Clippers make it very hard to be a Clippers fan sometimes. Uh, I'm hurting a little bit after this loss because you were right. Uh, three of their best players aren't in, but they had a couple of guys who were fit that evening. Uh, a couple of former Clippers, which I'm sure everybody is already aware of. Yeah, safe to say Reggie Jackson and uh, DeAndre Jordan went nuclear. And I tweeted earlier in the day, and you responded to me. I tweeted something along the lines of, um, you know that that means that Reggie's going to chuck up about 25 shots without Jokic, Murray, or Gordon. And plus, we'll even see DeAndre Jordan meaningful minutes. And you responded, I'll be chanting Reggie underneath my breath so long as the Clippers win. Um, The Clippers didn't win. And safe to say Reggie Jackson... um, turned into the guy that we loved with the Clippers going crazy when the Clippers needed him most. Man, um, let's start before we start getting individual performances. I said to you right before we started this pod, and I'm going to say it again. Rooting for this team sucks. Um, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. And this obviously has been a complete 180 from where we were a couple of days ago when we said the vibes are good, the Clippers have won four or five, but we said be careful because some of the opponents they had won against weren't very good. But right when the Clippers do something like that, where they win four or five, they always, always under this 2-1-3 era come back with just a horrendous loss that makes you disgusted and just embarrassed and hate the fact that you have to root for a team that doesn't seem like they care. And that's the most frustrating part to me right now is that every single night, and I've said this numerous times in this podcast, and I said last year to Justin Wilson, I said, this team is entitled. They think they deserve a win and that they will get a win every single night because they have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard on their team. It's always been like that. They felt like they were entitled to get a top four seed a couple of years ago. And now with James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, you go and you take on a Denver team that, oh man, they are starting DeAndre Jordan and Reggie Jackson. We're going to crush them. You go up by 11 and you can't finish this job. The team has no killer instinct. And it's so frustrating to be a fan of this team right now because you and I love the teams that were mediocre, but would put forth a fight every single night. That hasn't been the case this season. So I just need to get off that get that off my chest. Curious how you'd respond to what I just said. I totally agree. It's rinse and repeat with the two one three era. And it's not always just Paul George or, or or Kawhi Leonard, you know, one of them performs well, one of them performs poorly after a good stretch. Just there is no or at least last night, and there was no effort. There was no, like you said, killer instinct. So many defensive plays were taken off or just laissez faire. 
uh, by everybody, even like Westbrook, who had a, had a good game, you know, if you look at the box score, four, 14 and 11, he, he took some defensive plays off. Um, he had a thing with a fan late, but that didn't that didn't speak to why the Clippers lost. You know, I was watching I was watching that fourth quarter and not only did they look disinterested, they looked pissy. They looked like they just wanted to get out of there, you know, that couldn't be bothered to finish out a game that they were ahead of going into that fourth quarter and then just got the doors blown out to end it. So, you know, I'm upset, too, because like you said, we love we love this team or at least we, we want to love this team. And in years past, you know, despite the record, they they made it easy to love because they tried. You know, there was some grit. There was fight. There was defensive prowess or at least defensive hustle. Uh, and you didn't see that last night. And it, like you said, it's with a two-one-three era. Unfortunately, it has been this, you know, rinse and repeat scenario where now the Clippers sit at seven and nine, outside of the play-in, even I believe. It it's very very difficult. So I would agree with with everything you said and and raise you one. And here's the frustration, Matt. And I think you'd agree one hundred percent with me on this. The frustration is you get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and the expectation is that the Clippers will get to the finals or have several deep runs with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Injuries you can't control, but it sucks. Like, there's no doubt about it. It's disheartening. These guys have been healthy for all 16 games, and the Clippers are under 500. That is pathetic. It's not good enough. I understand there's an adjustment period with James Harden, but again, it's not good enough. And it, Here's another thing that's frustrating. You got Paul George, but you had to give up one of the most well-liked young Clippers in history in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Like, we loved SGA when he was on the Clippers, and there was promise there. He was a lottery pick. The Clippers have had several lottery picks over the years. Of course, they were very bad, but they weren't good guys. Like, Blake Griffin was great, obviously. SGA was probably the next best thing after Blake in terms of the lottery because after Blake, the Clippers weren't in the lottery because they were winning games. Before that, you had numerous misses. You can go all the way back to Michael Candy, But you get rid of SGA and you get rid of a fan favorite and you get rid of Gallinari and you get rid of all those picks and pick swaps. You anticipate that this team is going to win and is going to show effort every single night. Instead, It's SGA dominating every single night while the Clippers can't find their butt from the front of their body. It's unbelievable. It's so frustrating. And that's where I am right now. And I felt like it was important for us to just let go of how we feel at the start of this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I I know I'm frustrated. I know you're frustrated and just seems like everybody in Clipper Nation is frustrated right now. And for good reason, you know, you don't want to look out um, to other teams and say, well, I wish I had that or I wish I had this and all that kind of stuff. But there is at 7.12 p.m. Pacific time on this uh, Tuesday evening, there is a game going on right now between Minnesota and Oklahoma City. Speaking of Shea that I was watching a little bit before we jumped on together. And it was just exciting. And it sort of just made me kind of wish that maybe the Clippers had a little bit of that energy or a little bit of that drive or a little bit of that fun, the spark, you know, something uh, which it just didn't look like last night, hasn't looked like in a while, you know, and it's, it's it might be even more dire than we're, than we're saying, because you look at it. Okay. We're the Clippers are seven and nine, two games below 500. It's manageable. It's not ideal, but you can come back from that. But the wins, you know, the wins have been against some of the it's Portland, uh, San Antonio, the Magic are good, but still, it's a game you want to win. 
Then it's uh, the Rockets, San Antonio again, San Antonio again, and then a good one against Dallas. But you see the theme here is like, you know, we haven't exactly played the best competition in the world, even last night with the Nuggets missing three of their main guys. So very disheartening. That's just, you know, I, I had to get that one off my chest too. It's It's been a tough 22 hours, like you said. You didn't get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to be in the play-in tournament. Like you just didn't. And, and that's the way things are going right now because the Clippers right now are seven and nine. Sacramento is in that sixth seed at nine and six. So you are already a couple of games behind them. You're two and a half back of Sacramento. And there's obviously plenty of time to go in the season. And the Clippers have shown that they're a great offensive team um, so far with this starting lineup. But the energy from night to night, it just seems like the Clippers feel like they can take time off and take possessions off. And it's not good enough. And I mean, we're going to go into individual performances and I think we can do that now because uh, it's, oh man, because we got to talk about that game last night. And I went to bed after the uh, third quarter and the Clippers obviously had a double digit lead. And I thought, okay, the Clippers should be in good shape. They were awful in the first half, but I really thought Denver could play as well as they possibly could. And they played as well as they possibly could in that first half. And the Clippers played as terribly as they could in the first half. So I was like, all right, they'll be fine. And they turned the corner. I mean, they were up by 11. And so I was like, all right, that's fine. And you look at the stat that uh, the Clippers had won 128 consecutive games when entering the fourth quarter, leading by more than 10 points. They entered the fourth quarter, leading by 11. And so I was like, all right, they're fine. Couldn't sleep that great. Ended up looking at my phone about 45 minutes later, and I saw they lost. And it's just disheartening. I went back and I watched the fourth quarter today at work and it's just even more disheartening to actually watch how it unfolded with how many terrible shots they were taking, the dumb turnovers that happened, the defense that was just absolutely awful. Um, I want to start with James Harden because obviously he is the talk of the town because the Clippers seem to be meshing pretty well before this Harden trade. And then they went and got rid of Batum. They got rid of Covington. Um, they got rid of Marcus Morris, who all of a sudden has turned into a uh, New York Knicks Mike Marcus Morris when he's playing the Lakers for the 76ers. And they got rid of their depth, and they got James Harden, who seems to be a problem right now because he's not being aggressive. There was a possession in the fourth quarter. He had a wide-open three, chose not to take it, got into the paint, could have had a floater, didn't take it, tried to pass to Zoo, and it was deflected away by DJ and stolen. Like he has just been so passive and there are a lot of good stats that I want to bring up. And I always talk about Justin Russo and I always talk about law Murray and the stuff that they bring up. So James Harden made a three pointer with three seventeen left to go in the third quarter. It was the last shot that he attempted during the game, despite playing 11 more minutes after that. And Justin kept track of that stat. It was also the last three-pointer the Clippers made in the entire game. So the Clippers went 15 minutes without making a three-pointer after that, and James Harden did not take a shot after that. Matt, we did not get James Harden so that he can all of a sudden become TJ McConnell. Like, we did not get James Harden to become just a facilitator. James Harden is a deadly scorer and should be able to get to the rack whenever he wants and should be taking threes when he's open. And I think that's where I want to start right now is my thoughts on James Harden. Curious to get yours. You make a great point. 30 in 11 games with the Clippers, 32 minutes, 14 points, four and a half rebounds and six assists for James Harden so far. And frankly, that's just not going to cut it uh, for what we gave up for James Harden, for the lofty expectations after he came over. 
he's you, you're right. He is just not being aggressive, way too passive. And it's you know how much time I know we always say there, it takes time to to learn an offense to get used to the guys. But how much how much time is it going to take? You know, we're almost at a dozen games here with James Harden, and to average less, just a tick over fourteen points, it it, it can't it cannot do. But you know, two three pointers a game on, on like five and a half attempts. No, it, it it can't be that way. Um, even his free, you know, the free throws are down, like we spoke about in the last episode that we did together. Uh, he really needs to step it up, turn it on, and take ownership of this point guard role as a scorer and facilitator. But like you said, as a scorer, because he, he can't win with James Harden playing passive like this now as, as father time passed him by. I don't think so. You know, he led the league in assists last year and scored nearly 20 points, if not more. So what's going on? And it's really Kawhi, PG, and Harden trying to figure out how to play together. But that doesn't mean you can't shoot. Like, it feels like he's got this something in his head where he's like, all right, if I take a shot, Kawhi and PG are going to get mad at me. Like, I've seen how they react. The media does, Russell Westbrook and the fans. I don't want them to come and chase me down like they did with him. And like, it's not good enough. And according to Tomara Zarli, um, and I could obviously look up these stats, but these guys do an incredible job, and this is the stuff that stands out. And so Tomara had a good one where Harden's taken single-digit shot attempts in 7 of 11 games. Like, that's not James Harden. Like, that's not the guy the Clippers traded for. And that's exactly, that's a great, like, line by you. Like, that is not who they traded for. They did not trade for James Harden to do that. And Law goes on to say that uh, James Harden's attempted three field goals, three inside the three-point line in the fourth quarter since joining the Clippers. 55 minutes he's been on the floor. He's attempted three shots inside the three-point line. The next one he makes will be the first. He has not made a shot inside the three-point line. This is a guy that should be getting to the rack and blowing past his defenders at will, and he's not doing it. And Kevin O'Connor went on to say, James Harden's attempted only 12% of his shots inside the restricted area, a career low by far. If you start year by year, starting with 2009 all the way to now, he was in his 30s, and then he went down to 20s. His MVP season was 31%, like five or six years ago. Three years ago, he was at 28%. Now he's at 12% with the Clippers. So he's saying the decline is happening because he's not getting to the restricted area. So he doesn't have that burst. But the thing is, we've seen that burst. Like we've seen it. I just don't understand it. I don't understand the passiveness. I don't understand who the hell this player is because guess what? If this is the player the Clippers are going to get the rest of the season, the Clippers are not making the playoffs. And the Clippers just completely effed up their entire franchise by making that trade. If they're going to get a guy that I'm not kidding is TJ McConnell and it's not going to work. And TJ is a very good glue guy, but he is not a guy that you trade away a first round pick and you try and commit as much money as the Clippers are going to do to James Harden. And you don't trade away three wings for TJ McConnell. And it's not good right now where the Clippers are. Three wings who are playing very well, like you said, uh, for the team they got traded to in the Sixers. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever seen a, a TJ McConnell mic'd up moment, but he's actually hilarious. He's great uh, on the on the sidelines. So at least at least we could have that from James. And I don't even think that's the case. I'm looking at that Kevin O'Connor chart that you uh, that you mentioned earlier, 
And it is a precipitous fall. You're right. It is crazy to look at even just three years ago uh, and where we are today at 12.5% from shots inside the restricted area. Oh, my God. That is that is painful. And it, it's reflective in the free throw attempts. Like I keep talking about, and he only had two in 36 minutes last night. You know, three of seven. Three of seven field goal attempts in 36 minutes from James Harden from an offensive weapon, from a system like he is, is unacceptable. And you're right. It really, it gets really scary when you think about what the Clippers gave up, what the future may hold, where the contracts sit with uh, all three of their big guys. If you count Harden uh, in that, which I don't know that you can at this point. So something, something really needs to change with him. Um, and I don't know if it's anything that Ty Lu could do. It you know it doesn't seem like there's so many rotational um, switches that can be made at this point. So it seems like it's going to be an effort thing with James Harden, where he's going to have to take it upon himself to start take over, taking over and be more dominant, and not like you said, worry about Kawhi, Paul, or even the fans getting upset. Like take the shots, James, get inside, get to the line. Like we got to see it. Yeah, not only do the Clippers need to get to the line, and that's what James Harden does, but like you said, they need to take their shots. And here's something for you: the Clippers have the Clippers in their first five games this season attempted 35 three-point attempts. Okay, they're not at that even close to that right now, and that was when Russ was running the offense, and he was able to get into the paint, and the Clippers were kicking it out, and they're passing the basketball. This offense has turned into ISO basketball. I tweeted it last night. It's really all just give the ball to Kawhi and let him try and bail you out. And that's not going to work. And Kawhi was not good last night. Like he obviously, look at the point total and it was fine, but he wasn't efficient. This is a guy that you and I do fancy basketball. We get Kawhi Leonard because he's a guy that's going to shoot close to 50%. Like we know that he's going to shoot well. And He's not shooting well enough. And you look back at the game, obviously, a couple of games ago where he was terrible and he was 2 of 12. He was 10 for 26 last night. That's 38.5%. Last year, he was a 51% shooter from the field. He hasn't been over 51% in the last three games, and he hasn't been over 51% in four of the last five. And then you can go back and look at that game against Houston and before that against Denver, 36%. Against Memphis, 37.5%. Against Brooklyn, 43.8%. Like, it's not good enough right now from Kawhi Leonard. And he's shooting on the season 45%. That is way lower than what he shot last year. So, a couple ways we can go with this. We can go with Kawhi and go with Ty Lue. Let's go with Kawhi since I just brought him up. So, those are the numbers right now. And he just, it just seems like he's going ISO way too often. He doesn't seem like he's comfortable in the offense. I don't know if he's tired or what's going on. Because he started the game well, and he was shooting pretty well from the field, and then he just fell off the face of the earth. I don't know what's going on with James Harden, or pardon me, with Kawhi Leonard, but it's not good right now, Matt. Yeah, is he gassed? Is that is is that what it is? I mean, is there something something to be said for him not playing every game? Because you're right, a lot of times he will come out of the will come out of the doors like gangbusters. I mean, I remember even earlier on in the season. I believe it was the game against the Lakers uh, specifically, but I mean, he was moving, he was running down. I mean, he was just, and that was, that was right before James Harden started playing, by the way, he was just flying up and down the court. And I thought, man, this guy is healthy. He's ready to go. He's got, he's got his juice back. He's got his, his special Kawhi sauce. And then 
like you said, the points are fine, but it's that inefficiency because Kawhi hangs his hat on two things uh, primarily, and it's defense and it's efficiency, and that's why he's such a. That's why they call him a Terminator. Where he's a machine because he's so darn efficient that you know you're going to get close to fifty percent from the field every single time, and it's not what we're getting. So I don't know if he's uncomfortable with the scheme or if that he's tired. Um, I, my my instincts would say the latter, but maybe a mix of column A and column B. But it's going to be a problem, and I wonder if Ty will. And then you put yourself in a position now where you're two games under 500 and out of the not, not going to make the play in perhaps. So can you sit him? I mean, there's a lot of problems swirling there um, with what's going on with Kawhi, and you're you're very smart to bring this up, and I really appreciate that you're talking about the efficiency because that's really. Kawhi's thing and if he doesn't have that sure he's still going to be an, an excellent player but if he's not playing up to his efficient level James Harden is only taking seven shots a game uh yeah you're not even going to sniff a championship let alone like a conference finals so it is something to be concerned about and to keep an eye on okay um let's talk about Paul George because last night was dreadful um probably one of his worst games that he's played as a clipper um he got into foul trouble he couldn't make a shot and it's funny because um, I know I've mentioned Adam Osmond on this podcast a couple of times. Does a great job, obviously, with the Clippers pre-half uh, and post-game show. And I remember after that last game, he was saying there are people that actually wanted the Clippers to trade PG for Scoot Henderson. And that was obviously after PG was fantastic and he was nominated for Player of the Week. And he was unbelievable. Like he, what He's been one of the best players this season. Here's my frustration with Paul George. And why people, by the way, did were open to the idea of trading Paul George was because they thought this team needed a reset. And a game like last night shows why people thought this team needed a reset. Like they can go and win four or five, but then they just go and seem like they just don't care and that they don't work well together. And so you're better off trading a Paul George to get a guy like Scoot Henderson and then obviously a bunch of other stuff as well. Um, that's why people were thinking about doing it. Do I think they should have done it? No, because you've invested into Kawhi Leonard. You've traded everything. You might as well go all in. It's the same reason why I thought the Clippers should have traded for James Harden is that you've already gone this far. You might as well continue. But this is the frustration with Paul George. He shows that he's one of the best scorers in the NBA, and then he has a game like this. And granted, Paul George had a game like this a couple of games ago where he was terrible and couldn't make a shot. However, Paul George got into foul trouble. And he just committed stupid fouls, committed turnovers. You and I were just talking about the turnovers and he had some bad ones where he was bringing the ball up and he was trying to dribble and just lost the dribble on a fast break. Like there's a reason why at times he's not the guy that wants to have the ball in his hands. Then post game, you brought it up earlier, the heckling of the fans, the fans heckling towards Russell Westbrook and Russell Westbrook confronting them. Paul George goes post game and says, there's no other place where someone can go and um, go after somebody at their workplace like this. It's like, dude, have you not been to a restaurant and seen the way waiters and waitresses are treated? Have you not been on an airplane and seen how um, the flight attendants are treated? Have you not gone and seen how media members get stuff get eat stuff sent to them via email for their columns that, that are written? Like, dude, you're making millions of dollars. Fans have a right to yell whatever they want. Are they out of line at times? Yes. But fans are allowed to yell what they want, and they shouldn't be confronted. And so this is another part of Paul George, is that he just seems really soft at times. He doesn't want to be the ball handler, okay? He's he's mentioned that. I don't like being that guy. 
And then he goes and he has a game where he tries to be the glue guy. And he said, I was trying to be the glue guy. And now he's going and saying that you shouldn't go after and you shouldn't yell at people uh, when they have a bad performance. Like, guess what? The Clippers deserve to get yelled at last night because their performance was absolutely crap. So this is the reason why people don't like Paul George because he goes and shows glimpses of greatness and then he turns into a pumpkin and it's not good enough. And it's just, it makes me upset, Matt. It makes me upset. That's what you should be. I mean, I I love Paul George. I love, love, love Paul George. But there is this sort of, you know, it's like, like there's this identity crisis thing that seems to happen with Paul George where one day he's, you know, I'm, I'm going to be bully ball Pete this year. Then I'm, then next I'm going to be the glue guy. And then, uh, you know, actually I'm back to being, you know, 100% aggressive and it's like back and forth and back and forth. So as far, you know, as far as consistency is concerned, it's that part of the of his game that I think drives people nuts because, you know, you goes from passive to to aggressive, not passive aggressive, but passive to aggressive, uh, sort of on a dime. You can't really tell, and there needs to be some sort of consistency with a player of his greatness. So I completely agree with you. Um, as far as the fans go, you know, I'm sure there there's certainly is a level that fans shouldn't cross and should be disciplined if they cross that level. I don't, I didn't see any indication that that was the case last night. It was just Clippers fans at home being frustrated that the team is losing to a inferior opponent, at least with who was out there on the court. So I get that, but I, 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 I do love Paul George. I don't think it would have been wise to trade him uh, for scoot or any sort of package of Brandon Miller or any, anything that may have been in the air back then because like you said you're you're gonna go all in go all in and i don't know that right now it looks like in 20 in hindsight like that was the best decision but you know bomber's got his new arena coming you, you need stars on the team um i don't even think last night was a sellout so i don't know if the clippers are even happy in that regard but I will say I love Paul George. I think he'll bounce back, but just the inconsistency, uh, like Taking Back Sunday would say, the inconsistency of his moods uh, something that I think frustrates a lot of fans, me included. All right, let's take a quick break, and let's pay some bills. All right, so we paid some bills. Now it's time to go and talk about Ty Lu because here's something that we need to discuss. Um You've heard me rant several times how I think the offense gets stale and I feel like the um, it just doesn't look good at times and that Tyloo doesn't seem to draw up plays and that there are times when he is playing guys they shouldn't be playing. He's taking out Zoo when he has a lead, who which doesn't make sense because you need rebounds, you need defense. Then there was last night. And last night, um, the Clippers were getting destroyed on the pick and roll absolutely destroyed reggie jackson and deandre jordan were destroying the clippers every time james harden would be would be guarding reggie jackson here comes the screen where dj brings up zoo zoo goes to try and help on top of reggie he's too far away from the paint dj slips away from the paint a lob goes to dj a slam dunk, or Zoo stays back after the screen. Reggie Jackson has room, and he goes and drills a three or drills an open jumper. There were zero adjustments made. 
I saw Justin Wilson tweet out a video earlier today about how an adjustment was made in the second half that had Paul George come out a little bit farther. That's not an adjustment that's good enough. You have to either do one of two things, in my opinion. And granted, I am not a great basketball mind. I didn't play in college. I didn't never coached. But in my opinion, if you're going to have Zoo come out that far, then all of a sudden you're taking him out of the play and there's no reason to have him on the floor because you are taking away your best defender in the paint and all of a sudden making it four on four, which just does not work when you get Zoo out of the paint. We've seen how the Clippers do at times without Zoo. So go small or if you're going to have Zoo come up, then have guys rotate. Have them go quicker. Stop letting people screen you for fun. This has been one of my biggest pet peeves with the Clippers. Every single time they get screened, they just accept it. And they accept the switch is going to happen. There's zero fight from this team around screens, allowing it so that you can stay with your defender. Like just because a screen's coming, Matt, doesn't mean that you have to switch. Like that's not how it works all the time. Like you can hustle your ass off and you could have Zoo come and flash and then go right back and defend the guy that you were defending. And I don't think Ty made any adjustments last night, and he should have. And I think that he was part of the reason why the Clippers lost that game last night, because he was not good enough in his coaching. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, I 100% agree, and I, I saw what, you, what Justin Wilson posted, and uh, and you, you guys had some a little back and forth on that, and I completely agree about Zoo. Uh, adjustments had to be made. I mean, they were... The Clippers, but from the, from the outset, there's another Justin Wilson clip I'm watching here where uh, Paul jo- Paul George is supposed to check DJ. Justin Wilson is saying Harding xing out and following the pass. He gets lost. He just stays with KCP. Mike, Michael Porter Jr. is open for a wide open three, which he nails. This was in the first quarter, but it was just a sign of things to come. And yeah, I don't know what it is with with Ty Lue not making those proper adjustments. I mean, you know, he's he's supposed to be. You know, he, he he makes great adjustments after a loss or he makes great adjustments. But what about in-game? I mean, it's something we really need to see. So I agree with you 100%. A lot of this blame is on time. We, you know, you can't just you can't let him slide on it. it. It just doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't make sense to me how you can allow Reggie Jackson, who you know very well. I mean, Ty Lue coached Reggie Jackson. He knows him. And you see it happen. Possession after possession after possession and like the definition what what's the phrase the definition of doing something over and over again is insanity or something like that it, it's like right. you're allowing it to happen over and over and over again that's insanity like do something about it and listen Ty Lu should have made adjustments no doubt about that but at the same time and this goes back to Kawhi and Paul George how many times have we been told that Kawhi and Paul George are two-way players and that they're two of the best defenders in the league. Have you felt that's been the case in the last couple of years where, hey, you can put Kawhi on somebody and they're getting shut down? Like, it hasn't felt that way for me. It hasn't felt that way where those two guys have seemed like the dudes. And there, I'm sure there have certainly been times where both those guys have gone up against some great players and they haven't done as well. And the Clippers' defense can be good at times. But you don't see a guy... Let's say Raja Bell, for example, a guy like Raja Bell back in the day that would go and defend somebody like he's not taking possessions off. Draymond Green is not taking possessions off when he's guarding somebody's best player. And it just feels like this team, 
the, I mean, Kawhi had his back to the uh, the back to the ball on a play where um, the Clippers got burned for a layup underneath, and th- that's one of the plays that I was describing when I was talking to Justin, like where he said, "Listen, the defense, it's fine. You can have Zoo come up and help out, but the rotations have to be quick and they have to be clean." But this Clippers team just doesn't seem like they are quick and they don't seem like they are clean and they don't seem like they want to have that type of effort. So if that's going to be the case, then you can't do that. And again, it goes back to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Like those two guys are supposed to be two of the best defenders in the league and they just got cooked by DeAndre Jordan and Reggie Jackson. Like that in my mind is pathetic and it's something that cannot happen on any night. I don't care if it happens on a, like a, it shouldn't happen on any possession. Like it's going to obviously, but for a full game to get cooked like that simply sucks. And I don't like it. And there's a fear and you're, you're totally right because throughout their tenure with the Clippers, as you've seen flashes and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard often do get regarded as two of the best two way players in the league. And what are teams going to do when they go up against the Clippers? You know, they're never going to be able to penetrate the pain. They're going to get the ball swiped, uh, this way and the other. And you see it at times, but as the years move on, as the years click on, as the aforementioned OKCs and the Minnesotas of the world rise up and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard continue to get one year older each, I hope this isn't the case and I don't believe it is, but I mean, steps can be lost in this league pretty quickly. So is it a matter of effort? Is it a matter of execution? Is it a matter of skill? Is it a matter of fatigue? What is the matter, I guess, really, is the question that I'm asking and something that needs to be figured out really quickly because you're right. It, in in these last few games, in these last few seasons, quite honestly, I mean, I know injuries play a part, but they haven't looked like the dynamic duo, especially on the defensive end that we were that we were promised. And there was a possession yesterday where Reggie Jackson just blew right past Kawhi Leonard, like blew right past him for a layup. Like that shouldn't happen. Like it, 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 that's not something that should be happening. Like you're not facing a quick guard. That is a Trey young, for example, someone that's quick and is going to get to the hoop. Like that's come on. Like you are facing Reggie Jackson who, yes, he can have his moments, but it's just not good enough. And sure. He gets his steals. Kawhi does. He gets his blocks. He had a block yesterday that frankly, like it's most of the players in that position are going to get that block. But he's obviously still a good defender. There's no doubt about that. Like, he and Paul George are still good defenders. But I just don't feel like they're... When you hear about guys being two-way players, I think of dudes that you are going to be top 10, top 15 players in the NBA. You are going to lock someone up, and you are not going to let them beat you. When a guy like Reggie Jackson starts to get hot, you're going to say, I want that assignment. He's not going to beat me anymore. And I feel like that didn't happen last night. Like, even when Kawhi was guarding him, I feel like that didn't happen. And that's the part that I'm most annoyed by is that when you have a guy that calls himself one of the best that, or that we think is one of the best defenders in the NBA in Kawhi or in Paul George, and that you give all this money to, like you guys want $200 million, like you should be able to stop a guy like Reggie Jackson for a couple of quarters. And I don't feel like they showed they were capable of doing that last night. That's such a good point because, and I'm not saying that, that these two guys are the same, but you always hear about like Jordan and Pippen arguing about who's going to take the other players uh, best team on def- or best player on defense and you wish we you wish Paul George and Kawhi Leonard had like an ounce of that tenacity to be like no 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 he's going off I want him and that's that's what you hope for and that's what you want and that's that's to bring it all back to what you were talking about before that's the killer instinct we don't see and we haven't seen 
and something you have to have in order to advance uh, far in the playoffs and ultimately get a championship, which with these two players has always been the goal. And you know what would help? Having guys like Batum and Robert Covington. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it certainly would be nice to have a wing on Reggie Jackson to provide that length so that the passes couldn't be easily thrown to DeAndre Jordan and you could cause a disruption at the point of attack. Like, it certainly feels like it would help to have a couple of wings in that position. Um, and so, I mean, that's not on Ty Lue. And, but the part where it didn't feel like there was an adjustment, that's on Ty Lue. But based on this podcast, like people who are listening, you'll understand that a lot of this is being thrown at the players because there's only so much, Kawhi said this, there's only so much that they can do in terms of preparation for the coach to tell players what to do. Then the players have to go out there and do it. And the players right now, just not going out there and doing what they need to do. Like if the Clippers want to go and compete for a freaking playoff spot, forget title. How about compete for a playoff spot? They have to go and show effort night in, night out. You talked about how there are times where they just don't look good in the first quarter. Like that's unacceptable. Come out and win a game. You were an 11 and a half point favorite last night, 11 and a half points. Okay. No Nikola Jokic. You should have won that game. And the Clippers just showed like they didn't care, and it sucked. And and you know now we have Sacramento coming up tomorrow. Good segue. With, with just with another, not another, because not that Reggie Jackson is this quick twitch guard, but now we have De'Aaron Fox to deal with, mm-hmm. um, and just a whole set of young shooters and athletic guys to. It would be interesting to see what, if any, adjustments are made, how the guys respond because. This is a game where you want to exercise some strength and some killer instinct to bounce back from something like that, not let it defeat you, not let it get you bummed out, but to come back and really, really try to put it on the Kings. Um, but it'll be, it's going to be a tough one. I mean, the, the like you said, the, the Kings are no slouch, and we all know that by this point, it'll it's going to be hard. So you and I talked about this last podcast in terms of this is a tough stretch coming up for the Clippers, and... Like you mentioned, the next opponent's going to be the Sacramento Kings, and they're going to have a guard that is going to absolutely cook James Harden. And guess who's going to come and set the screens? Sabonis. So how are the Clippers going to adjust? Because guess what? The same exact thing can be done between Fox and Sabonis, except it's even harder because Sabonis can stay on the perimeter and shoot the three ball. So you you got to you got to account for him rolling. And you got to account for him staying there and shooting. So it's going to be very tough to fe- defend Fox and Sabonis. If they don't have Keegan Murray, that's obviously a big part of their offense that's missed. And a guy who's a pretty good defender as well. But with Fox and Sabonis, that's a hell of a lot better than Reggie Jackson and DeAndre Jordan. So that needs to get cleaned up immediately. And then it's a back-to-back. You have to face Steph Curry the next night. So you think that you got cooked by Reggie Jackson. Oh, okay, now you got... De'Aaron Fox and Steph Curry on back-to-back nights. So, and then Saturday is Golden State again, and that one is going to be at home. So, it's not easy these next three games, and we're certainly going to see where the clip, what the Clippers are made of. And right now, seven and nine, the Clippers could easily be seven and twelve when you and I do this podcast again after the game on Saturday. Like, it is very possible that we see the Clippers lose three more games in a row and go to 7-12. and 12. But at the same time, can you beat Sacramento, and can you take one against Golden State? Sure, of course you can. You have James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George. 
but have we seen enough from this team that makes us think that they will take two of three? I don't know. Do you think that this team's capable of taking two of three, or did you see enough last night that made you think that's very unlikely? Certainly capable of taking two out of three. And I'll tell you this, the last time we sat here right before Thanksgiving and there were three games on the horizon and we were going to talk after those three, we said, you know, we might, Brandy, we might come back on this podcast and the Clippers could be a game over 500. Well, guess what? We could come back on this podcast and the Clippers could be a game over 500 Mm. after these three games. I find it very unlikely that that's the scenario, but I do think two out of three is within the realm of possibilities, certainly within the realm of possibilities. The Clippers just need to clean it up, play all four quarters, all 48 minutes, whatever cliche you want, but it's true. They need to play with energy, with hustle, with care, with execution, uh, with efficiency, and they just need to get the job done. By the way, the Kings are playing right now against the Warriors, so you have a rest advantage over the Kings as well, and you're playing them tomorrow night, but then there's a rest advantage that goes the other way when Golden State will have a day of rest, and you'll take them on on Thursday, and so the Clippers will be on the second game of back-to-back, taking on the Warriors on the road, but you should win tomorrow. After Golden State and Sacramento most likely are going to have a battle tonight, you should win tomorrow. And we'll see if the Clippers do. We'll, we'll, we'll see what type of fight the Clippers have, Matt. I think that's yes. the most important thing that we're going to see right out of the gate. What type of fight and what type of give a SH blank T do the Clippers have? Are we going to see that right at the jump or are the Clippers going to fall apart and crumble? And I think tomorrow will tell us a lot about what this team's mentality is right now and where they are going forward. The first quarter is going to be huge. It's going to be almost everything. I, I really agree with you like that. And yeah, it's like I was saying, what kind of energy are they going to come out with? What kind of force? Mm-hmm. What kind of tenacity? What kind of execution? Caring for the ball, caring about this first quarter. They're going to need to come out strong and bounce back from what was, quite frankly, an embarrassment. The Clippers, by the way, are favored in that game at Sacramento. They are minus one and a half. The line is already up despite the Kings playing right now. So the Clippers being favored in Sacramento won't happen very often. So Vegas thinks the Clippers should be winning in Sacramento. Vegas also thought the Clippers should have won at home last night, but they lost as they were 11 and a half point favorites and they lost. And best guess what? Remember when the Kings or rather the Clippers were only like three point dogs at Denver and the Clippers put up a real good fight and lost that game. So Vegas sometimes knows things, but I don't know if Vegas knows how much the Clippers want to show and care each night. So it's a big three game stretch, Matt. It, it really is. And the Clippers are going to play two games next week. Don't know who they're going to be against next week. Don't know when they're going to be, but these are three massive games going into whatever you have to do next week. And I think the Clippers need to take two of three. I, I really think they need to take two of three, because if you lose two of three, then all of a sudden you're sitting at what? Eight and 11. Like that's just it's it's not good. If you're sitting at eight and eleven, then you're in some trouble. So big big couple games coming up. And you put a little put a little hurt to the Kings and or the Warriors yep. who are right around where the Clippers are in the win loss column. That doesn't hurt either. I mean, every single aspect of these next three games, be it the record, be it getting some cohesion, getting some positive momentum, huge games. Huge, huge, huge games. Good point. Yeah, really good point because you look to the standings and the Clippers obviously are right behind Golden State. And I talked about 
how Sacramento was a sixth seed earlier. And so you're, you're facing two teams that you need to try and pass. And so we'll see what the Clippers do in these next three games. But we're going to have a podcast after these three games because, frankly, after this one, um, I need a mental break after what I've seen. And also, <laughs> uh, I think it's starting to become unfair to judge this team night by night. Like, there's this team has so many ups and downs that I would like to have a three-game sample size. Uh, I want to see what this team looks like the next three games. And so the game is at 1 o'clock on Saturday. So we'll either record Saturday night or record early. Um, we'll do our usual Sunday afternoon spot. So you'll get the podcast out to you by late Sunday afternoon at the very latest. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Big three games coming up. Uh, no doubt about that. Any final uh, things you want to say, Matt? Just the uh, Brandon, it is always a pleasure talking to you about Clippers, about life, just about anything. Love talking to you, man. Love talking to you too, dude. And it's great to just kind of talk to another fan and just be able to get everything off my chest and the frustrations. And it's fun rooting for a team that's supposed to be good, but at the same time, it really sucks because you have these expectations. And I know you and I said coming into the season, we weren't going to have these high expectations. The media didn't have very high expectations, but then you make the hardened trade and all of a sudden all the chips have been pushed in. You are all in at the high limit room and you have nowhere else to stay if you end up just losing it all. And the Clippers need to figure out what to do. And we'll see what the next three nights look like and how the Clippers play. But we'll see, man. Tomorrow should be a good one. So, of course, you can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Matt Warren. You can follow me at BD Marcus. You can follow the Ethos Clippers podcast, of course. Give us that five-star rating. Review the podcast as well. It always does help. And, of course, we always thank you, the listener, for taking the time for listening to us, two schmucks talking about Clippers basketball. We really do appreciate it. So, until next time, he's Matt, and I'm Brandon. Go Clips.